0: All right. Hello, everybody. Welcome
1: to our guest segment. Super excited to have him with us tonight. His name is Michael Lichens. He is the editor of The Catholic Exchange. And he's here on behalf of a book that I find absolutely fascinating. It is called The Devil is Afraid of Me, The Life and Work of the World's Most Famous Exorcist. And this is all about the life of a Catholic priest, Father Gabriel Amorth, uh, who practiced in Rome uh, for decades and performed thousands upon thousands of exorcisms. Michael Litchens, uh, good to have you with us tonight, sir.
0: Thank you very much sir. It's a pleasure to join you all today.
1: Well, let's start by uh, talking a little bit about uh, the life of Gabriel Amorth and and help me if I'm saying his name incorrectly. We don't want I don't want to do that. Tell me a little bit about his his uh, start as a priest and and uh, how he got into this whole niche of exorcisms.
0: Well, lads, you can probably gather a from the name Father Amorth. He was from Italy, in fact, Modena, where he was born in 1925. Um, and I'm not sure how familiar listeners are with Catholic saints, but he had the chance to meet two really fantastic saints from the 20th century, um, most famously Padre Pio, who was someone who had stigmata. He himself experienced many supernatural events, including tauntings by the devil. But Father Amorth's great uh, mentor was blessed Giacomo Alberoni, And through these two men, he had joined the Paulist religious order, had done his work as a parish priest where many exorcists come. And then over a bit of time through the great uh, Father Candido, another famous exorcist, he learned the spiritual battle of taking on the devil in the form of exorcisms and helping people who are afflicted, possessed, and things of that nature. And towards the end of his life, he guesstimated he had done somewhere between 60,000 and 70,000 exorcisms, ranging in just a couple minutes here and there to full on needing several hours to do an exorcism for someone. And in that time, he became very colorful. He was well-known for his stories, uh, even though he tends to be very serious in this book you and I read. He also tended to have a great sense of humor, and it's through this great book that we're finally getting just a clear picture of Father Morse' long, very colorful life.
1: And he lived to be 91 years old, uh, spent, his entire life, <laughs> spent his entire life battling the devil, doing exorcisms. <laughs> I can't think of, like, anything more stressful. Like, you go into your doctor and they're like, well, if you want to live a long life, you probably need to get out of this battling with the devil type of work and do something, you know. Now that you're 60, you might want to move into something, you know, maybe you should uh, uh, try to sue a government or something. That might be, like, less the same kind of thing. Thing, but like a lesser level of battling the devil. Uh, but this is a, quite, quite an I incredible know. book and for people that want to get it, it is available everywhere, including at Amazon. And uh, the, the book is called The Devil is Afraid of Me. Now, now uh, Gabrielle... Amorth. He is. He passed away in 2016. So this book is authored by him. Is this sort of a compilation of his writings? uh, Of course, before his death, was this meant to be a book, or is this sort of a? Did they interview him, or these letters he left behind? How did this book come together now after his death uh, four years ago?
0: There were several uh, journalists that Father Amorth would talk to throughout his entire career that wanted to learn more about him and to publish his words, mostly to an Italian Catholic press. And so a lot of this is translated previous interviews. But for me, one of the great parts of this book is it has Don Marcello Stanzione, who himself is a prolific author from Italy. He's written hundreds of books on angels, demons, and things of that nature. And he himself was a, Associate of Father Amorth, it brings in a lot of great first-hand insights into the work of the world's most famous exorcist, and it's so it's a combination of interviews, letters, and Father Stazioni's account of Father Amorth.
1: Yeah, this is a, a this whole this whole uh, issue of exorcisms. This is a really big thing. In fact, I have read on several occasions where if I understand this right, that there is actually like a training school at the Vatican where people, uh, priests will fly in from all over the world to become trained to be exorcists. Is that right?
0: That's correct. Yes. Uh, The Catholic Church uh, now trains exorcists. There's been a shortage in the Catholic Church, especially in more Western nations. So there's this center center. Father Amorth was part of it to some degree. He helped found the International Association of Exorcists. And so this school is there to train Catholic priests and even some Eastern Orthodox priests in how to pray the Roman rite of exorcisms to deliver people from the devil's hands.
1: You know, I didn't see that in the career outlook handbook that there's a shortage no. of exorcists. <laughs> bad, I, huh? I know they're looking for uh, <laughs> like uh, air traffic controllers, uh, teachers, nurses, things like that. Mm-hmm. They didn't list, though, that that this is something to, to get into. Now, one of the things I found interesting in the book was that an exorcism can be something as simple as somebody believes. Maybe they they feel like, oh, maybe maybe there's a spirit. That's harassing me. I don't know for sure, but they want a priest to pray for them. And that would count as an exorcism, even if it's like a a short two or three minute prayer. And then there are other cases where, uh, you know, Father Amorth is like battling with uh, demons in someone for like multiple. He has to go and mm-hmm. do exorcisms multiple times. It's like he probably offered like a money back guarantee, like if they come back then I'll come back and, and, you know, provide the service again. So uh, th- there, it kind of r- runs the gamut. Is, is that right? So some of these thousands of exorcisms might have been like simple prayers and then others were, were kind of these big battles, like maybe we might think of in the movie The Exorcist.
0: Precisely, and that's a number I always try to, that for me is so impressive, the tens of thousands of exorcisms. Some of them were anointing of oil and saying prayer over someone asking the Holy Spirit to protect him and as you said sometimes it was full on battles one of his most dramatic exorcisms uh, was actually his very first one the windows would become icy the room would become a little darker and a sense of fear would overcome and he'd have actual physical changes going on around him while he's praying through the prayer of exorcisms and whether it's five minutes or several hours long, he still has to be committed to it. So there's no, OK, well, we'll take a break and come back in 20 minutes, guys, and see how that goes.
1: <laughs> Wasn't there one exorcism in particular, if I'm remembering from the book correctly, where it, it was actually Lucifer? The At least the, the spirit yes. said, I am Lucifer. Tell us that story.
0: So that was actually, if you can believe it, it was from his very first exorc his so first solo exorcism. He had seen other exorcisms and participated with his mentor, but this was his first solo one. Which eh, talk about hitting the ground. Wow, running. you think you'd start with like but, uh, a like
1: a smaller like a lesser known <laughs> demon or something, and but you start right with Lucifer. Tell us how this happened.
0: Yeah. So it was very fascinating for me, anyways, as somebody. A lot of times these entities or talking to people in their native language or maybe Latin or Greek, but in this case, uh, the possessed person needed a translator because he would scream curses in English despite being an Italian peasant. He was able to, like, manifest these different voices that oftentimes would communicate in English, so for Father Moore's first exorcism, he also needs someone to help translate for him. Which for me was just not a thing I would have ever thought. Oh, the wow. speaks English. Of course he does. And as I said earlier, while I was talking about that first one, within this time frame, the room went chilly to a point where you could see ice crystals forming on the windows. And that would be a thing he would encounter other times, because this was not the only time he encountered uh, an entity claiming itself to be Lucifer calling out to him, and this ended up being a thing he would encounter a couple times, almost as if he was in a cat and mouse game with the Prince of Darkness. And throughout this, uh, the young man needed a several interventions, but was able to finally be delivered completely, It is from Father Amorth's tales, is doing just fine currently. And... But that was, uh, for me, again, the fact that the entity was speaking English and also that there was ice and the te- noticeable temperature drops and also a feeling of oppression is h- how Father Morth would put it. Almost like he described it as an oppressive darkness feeling coming over you. Like, if you needed any more proof that the thing claiming to be Satan is not just messing with you, it's playing with the temperature now. And that was, again, Father Amor's very first exorcism. But he would encounter the devil a couple more times throughout his career.
1: Wow. Now, wasn't there a story of a woman uh, in Italy who, despite Mm -hmm. multiple exorcism attempts, uh, was never able to fully be released? Tell us about that.
0: Yes. Oh, so... Excuse me, and I may be confusing it with one of the many other stories in this book, but if my memory serves, a lot of this started with personal obsession with the woman. Uh, in this case, uh, Father Amorth would often call them patients. And in this case, this was a patient who just had a stubborn sensation. And I mention obsessions because Father Morth considered obsession to be a far, far more dangerous than how many of us would think of it. It's not as dramatic. You're not going to have things flying off the shelves, but your brain is now obsessed with finding uh, satanic power, finding any supernatural power, or finding another path that's outside of God's ways to finding power and salvation. And in this particular case, that's exactly what was happening. And when people are obsessed like that, they don't want to let go too often, according to Father Amorth's work. Uh, so, in a couple cases, there would be people who would not be able to really let go of their obsession and really allow healing to occur. Because I'm trying to think of how Father Amorth would put it, but effectively, he paraphrased Augustine a few times that God's not going to save you without your okay. Right? You've got to you've got to
1: want to be released. It. You have to want to be released exactly. from it. But in every case. So then it's fair to say that in every case, an exorcism is not successful for whatever reason. Um, But in most cases, he was successful to the point that the book title tells us the devil is afraid of me. So when he would go out uh, to pray for these people, um, the spirits would know. This is this is the guy he's coming for us. They, he had a reputation among demons and Satan as somebody who uh, knew what to do in these situations.
0: Precisely. It wasn't just his fellow exorcists who knew and his office up until the very day he finally passed away. He had uh, patients that would come see him from other dioceses, and other exorcists would refer people who had particularly nasty cases going on to him. And that was, uh, for me, also an interesting factor is that he has a great reputation on Exorcists. But also the demons themselves, as I mentioned earlier, Lucifer kept showing back up in different cases and always Mm -hmm. knew who Father Amorth was and would taunt and curse Father Amorth in various ways. Which is both exciting on the one hand as, you know, if you're a prayer warrior or an exorcist, okay, look how good I'm doing. For me, that's also probably the most frightening. I mean, I don't like the local gangs knowing my name. I can't imagine, you know, the Prince of Darkness knowing my name and address. And that to me just seems like the t- most terrifying part. I'd, I'd
1: even read, um, I, I'd li- listened to a number of interviews, but um, I think mm-hmm. they, just paraphrasing here, they had they had quoted him as saying, this is not a topic area you really want to spend too much time um, looking Agreed. into just as a layperson. Um, tell us why because I thought that was fascinating his sort of his warning on that.
0: There's a couple reasons why and it's easy to get I was talking about obsession earlier and for one, that is definitely a big part of it is obsession can be the most dangerous part when play with the demons is they're trying to attack you on your weaknesses but also your strengths. And so when we can get involved in things like possession, how to use holy water, and the different prayers that can keep demons away, it can spark the curiosity a little too much and uh, want us to dig deeper. And a couple of things can happen. Most common fear, a lot of people will start reading, you know, they'll read about Father Amor's encounters with the devil, and they'll read about these ice crystals and things flying off the shelves and poltergeist activity, and they'll Give to fear, which when it comes to the mercy of God, we have nothing to fear. Father stress stresses all the time that the devil is nothing against the mercy of God. And so if we allow ourselves to get involved and think, oh, well, if the devil's here, they can do this, they can do that. These devils can create a real actual madhouse for me. And that can, as you know, I mean, we're going through this right now in another spiritual warfare and how we're doing it through the lockup and through the quarantine. And the one thing we get keep getting told is we cannot allow ourselves again to get into fear. Uh, and I would also say from Father Amort's writing in interviews, the other problem when laity want to really get involved and learn about this is it can sometimes trip them up and get them to that other form of obsession, which is an obsession with power, with trying to figure out, well, how do the demons do this? And this can even create a an attraction. Uh, much like how at baptism, we reject not only Satan, but the glamour of Satan, the glamour of evil. In this case, we have to reject the glamour of the the evil one's power. And for Father Amorth, for both those reasons, it's best that laity mostly stay to praying and hoping and listening to the priest. In general. Yeah, and this
1: is a scary thing, too, to even get into. I know there's quite a bit in the book about... Um, the danger of uh, the occult practices. And yes. he's spent a lot of his career warning people about that. And there was a time when that was sort of a taboo topic, but I was just up at uh, the bookstore, you know, before the shutdown, you know, maybe what a month ago I was walking around and there's actually like a witchcraft section now in Barnes and Noble. Uh, I-, I saw at a Barnes and Noble where they had a Ouija board. You could buy a Ouija board at Barnes and Noble Um People think. I know some people get into that, and they think it's just for fun. Um, others, you know, right. believe there's a real power. But you're you're really opening yourself up to that dark world when you start playing around with those things. Isn't that right?
0: You absolutely are, uh, Father Moore warned over and over in this book and in all his books about the dangers of going to people who have skills, psychic powers, or know how to use spells or anything like that. Uh, Again, going away from the alarmism, Father would warn would also tell people that most of these folks are charlatans. They're not actually doing anything. But then there are the ones who are not charlatans, who actually can encounter real evil to do spells or curses or things like that. And this is a thing you not only find in America, like you said, like in the bookshelves, and <laughs> now you could just, you know, it's just a click away. Yeah, it's, it's like, can you tell me where the uh, witch, where the things. witchcraft
1: section is, and then after that, I need yeah. to know where the travel section is, so I'm going on a trip. <laughs> there literally is a witchcraft like shelf in now in Barnes and Noble. I I I, I cannot mm-hmm. believe it. But but people open themselves up to this, and I think there was a story too about. Incidents where someone would cast a spell on someone and then he would have to deal with that. Tell us about that scenario
0: So yeah, this is a thing you might encounter more often in his native Italy than you would here in North America But you can find this in North America. There are people who sell their work as magicians they might call themselves wizards, witches, whatever and the way Father Morth often encountered this is that they would do work with a demon that would be a angelic, godlike creature in its disguise. And you could, um, one of the more famous stories for me, just cause talk about terrible family dynamics, but it was a mother-in-law who bought a curse from a magician for her daughter-in-law because she didn't like how the two were married. And. Mm by the way please just don't, never do that don't buy curses for people that's a terrible thing but <laughs> not also. a good wedding gift
1: uh it's not going to you probably probably blessed. not going to be on your list of, of gifts that you want You're, if you if you can register down at the uh, witchcraft uh superstore <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but this this is something like uh, what my son used to live in in New Orleans and uh, there were voodoo shops Mm -hmm. like right on the street. It's like there is a there's a restaurant red beans and rice and oh, here's a voodoo shop. And it wasn't it wasn't just a goofy, funny voodoo shop. It was an actual real voodoo shop. And then there are tarot card readers and all of this kind of thing that used Mm -hmm. to be sort of fringe is now becoming more mainstream.
0: Precisely. And you can, and like I said, this was something Father Morth was a little more used to on his uh, native soil, but we're seeing it more and more. You know, for now, it's just palm readers and things like that, but it takes a very little for suddenly something to get attached to you. If you're playing around with things like trying to contact the dead or trying to talk to spirits that are strange or things that you just shouldn't be playing around with. And Father Morth talks about, even if someone wasn't aware of a curse that was being leveled against them, he'd have to get involved and pray and deliver people from whatever thing got attached to them through occult practices or through curses. And as always, it's just a thing like, yeah, it's not even playing with nuclear waste. You're playing with fire that also can talk to you and attach itself to you. So it's just best not to do it.
1: Yeah, now he talks in the book about angels and demons, and he explains mm-hmm. from Scripture where demons come from. And a lot of people don't know this because if you haven't studied the Bible, that an- that demons are actually they were angels at one point and they okay. rebelled against God and there was this battle in heaven and these angels became demons, uh, on the other side of the, uh, equation has, did he, does he have any stories about angels? Uh, was he, has he ever been assisted by a- angels or had any interactions with angels? Uh, the good angels of course is, is what I'm talking about.
0: Yes. Yeah, so as you noted, angels uh, I'm sorry, excuse me, the demons are fallen angels from when they rebelled against God and were cast into the lake of fire and he did in fact have encounters also with God's angels but also, but on top of that God's saints and in fact in many of his uh, Roman Catholics being what we are and many of his suggestions for prayers of liberation he asks you to call on saints like particularly Saint Michael of uh, one of the great archangels to help you in your struggles, because they, Saint Michael in particular, has been fighting against the devil's fallen angels since time immemorial, and so these would sometimes encounter, be encountered in Father's exorcisms as an assistant, somebody who is there to offer hope, and in particular cases, a few times uh, even Blessed Alberoni Father more former mentor, would make an appearance to help. With prayers and assistance, usually coming up again in that assistant well way where Father Amorth is bringing on the exorcism, God is delivering, and Father Amorth and the angels are now working together to help liberate the soul. Was and, Oh, and I should point out ahead. also guardian angels. Oh, I was just going to say, and also your guardian angel is also watching out for you. Right, right. And so Father Amorth often suggested, you know, ask your guardian angel in the name of Christ, help me through this.
1: Hmm, interesting. Uh, I uh, one of the things that I, I find fascinating about the book is. It, sort of the the danger the, the whole idea of you know confronting a situation where someone is demon possessed and you always think of in my case I always think of the movie The Exorcist which I saw it once yeah. I'll never see it again because it scared me to death I can't even uh, think about it these, uh, what I saw in that movie and that was just Hollywood spin on it but did uh, Father Amorth ever have any physical did he ever you know physically get hit or have any physical injuries from many of these exorcisms he did?
0: He did, in fact, yes. Uh, Sometimes these things, like I said, they can manipulate objects. Uh, And in fact, Father Amorth notes that in many cases of uh, possession, one of the first signs of demonic activity will be poltergeist activity. And this is very Hollywood in many ways. Hollywood's take this very well. But it's things moving off the ground, chairs moving across the floor with nobody there, things like that. And, of course, these objects get flown at the priest and flown at uh, whoever's praying the prayers of liberation sometimes as a form of intimidation. But the more likely assault that Father Amorth and other exorcists got to – in fact, I learned through Father Amorth's uh, interviews that this is a skill many exorcists develop of being able to quickly bring out a handkerchief because – Many times the possessed people will themselves try to attack the exorcist. And if they're bound or held back in any way, they'll settle for spitting, uh, trying to headbutt, things like that. But spitting is the most common thing.
1: Wow, that is is scary. I mean, just to think about that, were, Mm -hmm. were any of these confrontations ever videotaped?
0: They were. If you, any of you have Netflix and want to watch, uh, just speaking of The Exorcist, uh, William Freakin, who directed The Exorcist, did a small documentary that's on Netflix called The Devil and Father of Morth, And you can actually see, uh, one of the video. Obviously, everyone's protagonist faces are blurred, voices are distorted because most people who are possessed don't really want fame or notoriety at all. In fact, they, that's usually the last thing they want. And, but uh, more than that, uh, you usually had audio recordings of Father Amorth and the exorcisms, a few of which I've heard over the years. And those are more interesting because you keep thinking there's got to be at least five people in the room. But it's usually just Father Amorth, an assistant, and the possessed who's just changing voices constantly. Wow. And you can see that as well in video.
1: <laughs> now, th- that video, is that in the same documentary or would that be separately somewhere else on YouTube?
0: Oh, that's on the same documentary, The Devil and Father Amor. Okay, because
1: The the Exorcist, that was actually based on a real story, isn't that correct?
0: Yes. Yes, it's uh, based off a story of a young boy who was possessed in St. Louis. And he, uh, very similar story. He was interested in the an Ouija board and also different forms of seances through his aunt. After his aunt passed away, then the obsessions... Yeah, and as you can imagine, mornings never easy, but especially for a child, but the ways of trying to create seances is how the demons enticed him and finally attached themselves, and it took, want to say it took about a team of three Jesuits, several different sessions over a matter of weeks before they were able to deliver him, but it became, they all wrote it down, it became very well known within Jesuit circles, so of course William Peter Blightley, who wrote The Exorcist, finds this and writes a novel and a screenplay that has been terrifying audiences ever since.
1: Yeah. And you know, one of the things, um, about here in the United States, I I think that we don't, uh, many people sort of dismiss even the possibility that the devil is real and the reason I wanted to have you on tonight is because, um, you know, when I was um, in Bible college myself, I had some fellow students that were at our college from Africa and different more remote parts of the world, and they laughed at us when we said, "Well, you know, maybe we would see uh, demonic possession, or maybe we wouldn't, through our whole career." And they said, "No, well, we see it every every week at our church." Like this way so it, Americans work sort of oblivious and that's what they say the devil's greatest uh uh stunt right is that we don't believe in the devil. So I think that the more people study uh, this whole issue of demonic possession and demons and exorcisms, I think this can build your faith because I think if you get to the point that you uh, believe that the devil is real, so you got this going on on the one side, then you're going to believe that the other is real, that is God and goodness and all of that. Do do you find that uh, Father Amorth's ministry had that effect on some people who are are not believers in the spiritual realm and then were introduced to this and said, wow, this is real. I need to get on God's team here because this is scary (laughs) stuff.
0: You you probably notice that in this book that sometimes the people interviewing him have a little bit of uh, you might call it confusion or even credulity or whatever you'd like to call it, but they're even not sure if Father Amorth is really getting all the facts right and we will have to ask him several times to repeat himself. And I think with a lot of people they can find that maybe Father Amorth is making this up or he's exaggerating a little and then as th- time goes on and his story stays consistent it can be very surprising. But for me, the most hopeful thing with reading Father Amorth and about possession, vexation, and things of this nature is, okay, so these things can change, you know, they can make your room colder. They can throw things at you. They can make chairs slide across looking by seemingly invisible hands. But the thing that uh, Father Morth always stressed was that the devil's still nothing against the mercy of God. And you see that over and over again, is that no matter how powerful these things are, just uttering the name of God and remembering his love and his desire to see you saved is way more powerful than anything that some creature from the depths can do to you. And that for me is the most hopeful thing you can have in this crazy, crazy world.
1: Absolutely. Now the listeners send me an, e- an email or this is a great question. They, they mm-hmm. got a couple of questions Thanks. about, about the Pope. They want to know if how close would father Amorth uh, have been with the sitting Pope at that time, like, is, is he considered in this position, is he considered like, uh, like, uh, I don't know, secretary of state, uh, can, con- to the president of the United States. Is this position is like top exorcist. Like is his office two doors down from the Pope. Th- that's the first question they want to know. How closely connected was he with the Pope mm-hmm. during all this? And then secondly, they want to know, does the Pope ever get involved with exorcisms, which that's another fascinating question.
0: Yes it I a uh, pre- I don't know about the current sitting popes if I you know the either Benedict or Francis if I'm honest with you but popes in the past absolutely have gotten involved in exorcisms but a, more broadly spiritual warfare uh most famously in the last century pope Leo XIII uh had a particular vision and from that he created the prayer to St Michael which is a prayer asking the great archangel to bring his strength to our side for our defense and that was after he had heard a dialogue between the devil and god where the devil was promising that he could make anybody turn against him if only he was allowed to rule over the earth and that terrified the pope so thus the prayer to say michael but in more recent times i'm not a hundred percent sure pope benedict always encouraged exorcisms and was a big part of the international association of exorcists being founded and through that father more and pope benedict had met a few times but they weren't necessarily three doors down in fact father Morth kept a very simple office away from high traffic areas and he tended to want to perform his exorcisms away from windows away from any prying eyes or people who might listen against the doorway and things like that. So he had a simple green off. I call it a lime green office because that's what all hit the possessed mention in their writings. And that was still in Rome and he was still receiving cases and everything. But in general, this was a little bit, it was within the hierarchy, but it's not a regular part of, they're not having uh, strategy meetings every day. You know, okay, well, what does the exorcist say about this? But they would be advised and ask questions, especially in cases of spiritual warfare.
1: Interesting. Uh, all right. Another question here. This is a great question. Can can buildings be possessed? I know. Isn't this part of I'm not, I'm not a Catholic. I'm a Protestant. But isn't it sure. possible that uh, don't a lot of Catholics have a priest will come in and bless a home. And then sometimes you see these movies where there's a house that might be haunted, supposedly. But then they have <laughs> a priest come in and blesses the, the house. Is, is Isn't this something that is done in the Catholic Church?
0: Yes, in fact, uh, you can have it done a lot of people will have it done in right after the Christmas season. That's a very great tradition within the Catholic Church. but uh for most laymen like me, whenever you move into a new place, you have the priest come in, give it a blessing with some holy water, holy salt, both of which I usually keep around in the house, and many Catholics do as well and to answer the this really awesome question, yes places absolutely can have demonic activity that is attached to the particular place itself. And oftentimes when priests are doing their blessings, um, most famously was the Amityville Horror, where the priest in that particular case heard an audible... It was a little dramatic in the movie, where it was, you know, this big booming voice, but in real life he reported he heard an audible voice tell him to get out. Like just an invisible, disembodied voice out of nowhere... And this is a thing that Father Morth would encounter a few times where a priest will say, Okay, I've been, I've made the sign of the cross and started praying, and something told me it didn't want me there. And that's it is a sign we need to go further and do a little bit more intervention on this case. Wow,
1: well, that is but fascinating. Like yeah. Morth. Now, mm-hmm. it is uh, in terms of, um, you know, you hear people talk about quote unquote haunted house. Uh, Jeez, now, geez, yeah. It is, yeah, it is, is the thought then, that the haunting or whatever's going on in that kind of a situation is demonic? That did, did Father Amorth ever address the issue of so-called ghosts or hauntings, or would he just put that all under the umbrella of demonic activity?
0: He would put almost all of it. I mean, there was some room that there might be, in fact, people from beyond trying to visit us, but they're not trying... The idea is if somebody's trying to visit us to, say, warn us or to ask us for prayers or things like that. We have saints throughout Catholic history who've had these encounters with recently deceased who are typically asking for prayers. In the cases that Father Morth dealt with, where there's clearly an intelligent force at work, there's something that's even aggressive towards the person, he would put it all under demonic and that would include what we would call poltergeist cases. Like I said, the invisible things making noises and moving your stuff all the time. Father of Morth would just say that's the first salvo in a demonic attack is that little bit of poltergeist haunting as if we're in a Ghost Hunters TV show. <laughs>
1: Yeah, exactly. Uh, and, and, you know, this is something I think that uh, is going to become more and more of an issue as we, you know, get into prophetic times, you know, it just just people generally being open to spiritual things, which is happening more and more there. There's a, a spiritualist camp like, I mean, uh, 45 minutes from here called Casadega. <laughs> And it's like a whole community of fortune tellers and tarot card readers. They even have their own church there. I don't know what... They, they use the word church I don't know what they're worshipping in that building but uh, the, these are things that are becoming more and more prolific this whole idea of of spiritualism and and these alternate tracks witchcraft and the occult and even kids now getting involved you know at younger and younger ages with, with these strange uh, yeah. types of practices so these are scary times in closing though I want to give you a chance to promote yourself a little bit I know that uh, of course for people that, that want to get the book you're actually not the author of the book you're really the spokesperson for the book because of course Father Amorth is no longer with us here on earth uh, Gabriel Amorth is the author with Marcello Stanzione is the uh, was actually the one that that, that put the, the book together sort of the, uh, the uh, actual editor of the book but the book is titled The Devil is Afraid mm-hmm. of Me and that book is available at Amazon it's available at bookstores uh, it's very popular right now but you Michael Litchens you are the editor of the Catholic Exchange. So in our last couple of minutes, tell us about the Catholic Exchange and what that's all about and how people can get in touch with you.
0: Well, we're at catholicexchange.com. We're also, if anyone wants to listen to our podcast, we try to have a weekly podcast up Most of the time. We have one up almost every week. doing various interviews, and in fact, if they go to CatholicExchange.com and you look for Father Amorth, you'll find a couple sections that we've made available from this book, The Devil is Afraid of Me, for free for anyone who wants to kind of get an idea of what the book looks like and just have some really, really fascinating reading at this point. And they can go there at CatholicExchange.com or find us on Facebook, Twitter, anywhere. And I'm available editor at CatholicExchange.com. Uh, we are most—we don't just fo- focus on Father Amorth. Our big goal and our mission statement is really to make saints in our own time to help us to bring about Christ's blessing in these really, really trying times, which more and more I'm thinking is the greatest mission we can have.
1: Absolutely. And for people that want to find out more about the ministry of Father Amorth, of course, there's the book. You mentioned the documentary. Tell Mm -hmm. us the name of that documentary again and where that is. You said it was on Netflix or YouTube?
0: Yes, it's on Netflix. It's called The Devil and Father Amorth.
1: So you would recommend that any any other uh, videos or any other books? Uh, He wrote other books, didn't he?
0: He wrote quite a few other books. You can find them. There's one called "The Ex," an exorcist gives us testimony, and that's been a runaway bestseller for about 20 years now. If you can find that, most libraries actually. I even found my local library had an ebook copy when I was feeling like rereading it. And he has dozens of books that were several of which we have through Sophia Institute Press, my press. Uh, right now that we're making available in English for the first time. So you can find uh, about three or four of those books at sophiainstitute.com.
1: Very good. And uh, as coronavirus continues to ravage uh, the world, our prayers go to uh, the people of Italy uh, in particular who have been so hard hit by this. Absolutely. Do, do you feel that there is any... Uh, known end to this as far as Italy and opening up the Vatican again to visitors and public services and, uh, uh, you know, being able to uh, have the Pope, uh, you know, uh, come out and do his services from his balcony. Is there any thought that that might uh, resume sometime in the next few weeks?
0: I'm hopeful. Uh, we're. I'm still following the news, but I'll be honest with you, I haven't seen anything, and this virus is so strange to us. Every time we think we have an understanding of it, it changes our perspective. So for right now, the Pope is still keeping things as – quiet and dis- socially distancing as possible and the last i heard is we might see the vatican open up sometime early summer but we shall see and i'm praying for
1: it yeah beautiful place uh i, I got a chance to visit there myself a couple of years ago sistine chapel left me Ooh. breathless uh just just unreal to be able to uh, oh, to yeah. visit there thank you so much for being with us sir we hope you'll come back and visit us again thank you and uh the this book my it- pleasure and The book is, uh, again, it is, uh, it really is a a page turner. I have to tell you, I wasn't so sure I was going to do a show on. On this topic because you know number one it kind of scares me a little bit I'll be honest with you but also I thought "Eh, is this a little bit heavy and you know I'm not Catholic and this is more from a Catholic perspective and uh, but man I'll tell you it was really interesting and and I think the lesson kind of to uh, come away with from this is don't mess around with things that are going to open doors to uh, dark places Uh, you you don't want to do that because Anytime you start dabbling and playing around with witchcraft and the occult and Ouija boards and going to have your, uh, you know, play with tarot cards and your palm read and your future told by future tellers, uh, fortune tellers, all these kinds of things, uh, you might think it's fun and games. I'm going to go have my palm read at the, at the fair. You might think these are fun and games, but they're not. Uh, and you're opening yourself up to what is just uh, an incredibly scary world, uh, dark world uh, where demons rule. And this book, I tell you, the gives me chills when I read the account of uh, this exorcism where uh, you know the the demon says, "I am Lucifer." I mean that that is scary stuff. And uh, it, this was real. And uh, he he did tens of thousands of exorcisms. So I imagine this book will continue to be a bestseller. And uh, if you have the courage. Uh, Make sure you read it uh, during the day, not at night before you go to bed. The book is titled The Devil is Afraid of Me and uh, the Life and Work of the World's Most Famous Exorcist. The story of priest and exorcist Father Gabriel Amorth. I hope you've enjoyed this broadcast tonight. Stay safe. And remember, if it's Sunday night, it's Jim Paris Live. We'll talk to you next time. So long, everybody.